Welcome to the I Am African podcast, where excellence isn't just inspired, but demanded. I believe in asking the difficult questions, starting the uncomfortable conversations, proposing outside-the-box solutions, and of course, shaking tables. No, breaking tables, all while being African. I am your host, Vera Ezimora. Hey, sweet potatoes. Welcome to episode 18 of the I Am African podcast. I feel like it's been a while since I asked you how you're doing. There is still a pandemic out there, right? So I hope you're doing well. I hope you're safe. I hope you're indoors. Hope you're healthy. Hope you still have an income. We're still home for the most part. We go out when we have to. Um, we, I guess we go out more than before, but, you know, life isn't back to normal yet. Still have to wear masks and everything. But I hope that from wherever you're listening that you're okay, that you're doing fine. So uh, today I'm going to give a shout out to two cities as usual. Um, the two cities I want to mentioned today are Clemson, South Carolina, and Milton, Georgia. Thank you for the listeners in these cities. I've not been to either one of them, I don't think. And uh, also, I have a review to read for you guys today. And this one is from New Yogi. I hope I'm not butchering your name there. So this is on episode 17, which was the last episode, last week's episode. And she says... Just listen to the episode with Edafe Ipuru, and it's one of my favorites. I had to Google Unitarian Church, David and Jonathan, and I love his tips about four virtues to teach a child. He is intelligent. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Nyogi. Um, it's so exciting and refreshing to read that you had to Google those things. Uh, when we have these conversations, I do hope that you guys listen and you learn something. And even if the episode doesn't answer all your questions, that it at least awakens a kind of curiosity in you, right? Like just like Yogi who said she had to go and Google these things. That's awesome. Before the episode, I had never heard about the Unitarian Church either. So I had to go Google it during the episode. So yeah. That's why we have these conversations, you know. Uh, we need to have these conversations in our community. They're very important. Okay, so today I had a conversation with Ruth Marimo. I discovered Ruth in our Facebook group. Somebody shared something and I followed it. And the only thing I knew about her was that she was African, she's a lesbian, and she was atheist. So I just thought, oh, well, she has to come on here and talk to us. <laughs> I didn't really bring her on to discuss her sexuality or her um, atheist beliefs. Um, but of course, it's part of her story. Uh, but you have to listen to it for yourself. She's one of those people. I'd never spoken to her before um, until I reached out to her, that is. But when we talked on the phone, it wasn't it didn't feel like I was talking to someone I only just met. And I mean, I haven't even met her in person, but e-met. Somebody I met, I just met virtually. It didn't feel like that. I literally spoke to her for hours. And even after we wrapped up recording, most of our conversation continued off record. So uh, Root, that was so great recording with you. I'm looking forward to having you back. Uh, so you guys, let's get into this episode. Hi, Root. Welcome to the I Am African podcast. 
Hi, Vera. How are you? I am great. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. So I'm speaking to Ruth Marimore today. We have a lot to talk about today, like emotional resilience, what it takes, how to get it. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about Ruth before we go on. She is a 40-year-old single mom of two who lives in Bellevue, Nebraska. She has authored two books, a memoir titled Outsider, Crossing Borders, Breaking Rules, Gaining Pride, which chronicles her immigration journey from her country of origin, Zimbabwe, as well as the complexities of being a multiple minority. She also has a work in fiction titled Indelicate Things, and she's also co-authored Women Beyond Belief, and she was featured in the book Pantsuit Nation. Ruth Marimore was a TEDx Omaha speaker for 2015 and also a 2012 Yale LGBTQ conference speaker, a 2016 Harvard LGBTQ conference panelist, and she was nominated for a 2017 Young Black and Influential Award in Omaha. Ruth, that is a lot. And I didn't even read everything. (laughs) I just read the first few sentences. But thank you so much for joining us today. You are so very welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, and and you are breaking uh, a record for us here because you are the first non-Nigerian guest. <laughs> I already said your country. <laughs> I already said your country, but let me let you also say what African nation are you repping today? Yes, yeah, so I am originally from Zimbabwe. Awesome. See, Zimbabwe in the house. And in my defense, uh, I have tried to have non-Nigerian people, but for some reason, something always happens and they have to cancel, uh, but I'll keep working on it. You won't be the last, I promise. Okay. All right. Well, this, maybe I'm studying a trend. Absolutely. And this is the I Am African podcast, not I Am Nigerian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we welcome all. Come one, come all, please. If you know people... Lead them to me. Let them come on. All right. So, Ruth, we have a lot to talk about. I found Ruth. Let me tell you, I always tell people the story of how I found a guest. So, I found Ruth in our Facebook group. She wasn't a part of the Facebook group, but somebody in the group posted something that you posted, Ruth, in your personal Facebook page, right? And somebody, did you ever, by the way, since joining the group, did you ever come across that post? No, but I, I will, I'll do some digging and, and go okay. back and see it. Yeah. Okay. If I, if I find it, I will tag you in it okay. because I don't think it, it wasn't posted that long before I reached out to you. And, um, it, when the show is over, actually, never mind. I did find it. It says, learn to be okay with not being invited, included, or considered. And it was posted on June 28th at 10.22 a.m. Eastern time. (laughs) And I saw that and I wasn't sure uh, where it came from, um, but I liked it, right? It was, like I said, it was a member of the group that posted it. But, you know, because it was shared from your page, it showed your name. You shared it on June 26th and two days later it was shared in the group. And so I clicked on your name and I saw that you were African and I saw that you were a lesbian and you are an atheist. I was like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) 
one person. I'm like, ah, ah root. <laughs> now you the one, only you. <laughs> You're like, what is going on? Yeah, I'm like, what? Yes, who is this? And can I talk to her? So then I proceeded to add you on Facebook, and she declined my friend request. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> declined my friend. I didn't even know she declined it, but I sent her a message. I my mistake was adding you as a friend before sending the message. Yeah, I should have sent the message first. <laughs> she declined the friend request. I didn't even know she did. But then after I sent her a message and she read the message, she realized that, oh, this Vera person is kind of cool. But then it was too late. <laughs> too late. She declined it. Did you know that if you decline somebody's Facebook friend request, that's it. It's over. You guys can't be friends anymore on Facebook. Like Facebook would not let her add me, would not let me add her back. So now we can't be Facebook friends. I don't I don't know where we go from here, but <laughs> no, I that's what's happening. I started following you and I found yeah, you on I, Instagram. Yeah. So now I'm oh, okay. thing now. I'm trying to how do I make amends? <laughs> yes. Let, let this be a lesson, ladies. When someone rejects you, stand your ground. They'll come around eventually. <laughs> They'll come around and be like, oh, okay, I changed my mind. <laughs> I want you now. <laughs> okay. So so um, when I read that, though, of course, when I spoke to you later on the phone, you said those weren't your words, but you just shared it. Still, um after reading the words and then really clicking on your name and reading these things about you, I could see how you being not even the African, well, the African part, part of it, but you being lesbian and atheist uh, at the same time while being African, I could see how that wouldn't blend in well for our uh, African community. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, you're two things that we don't really understand. Right. right? Yeah. So, and then after talking to you, you, you gave me even more information about your, your background, which was, uh, very telling. And I listened to your Ted talk. I didn't even know I, when I reached out to you that you went all, I didn't know anything about you except the thing I, I read, the short bio that I read. I didn't know anything else about you. I didn't know you were this big shot. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just thought you're regular, regular old somebody. See myself as a, I see myself as like just a very, very ordinary person. <laughs> well, you guys Google her and you see she's not ordinary. Okay. So, but thank you though for um, being here and thank you for being so open and to, to come on here. I mean, not, you didn't know me or on my podcast before. So I appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same business you are, which is the business mm -hmm. of, um, you know, opening minds, you know, um, expanding our perspectives mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, and that's really who I am. That's who I am on social media. That's who I am in my everyday life. I, <clears throat> it's ironic because I'm an atheist, but I feel like I preach all the time. I'm constantly preaching, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, basically I'm always trying to get us, all of us to kind of like get out of these boxes, you know, to, I'm, I'm constantly asking people to examine themselves, examine your beliefs, examine, you yeah. know, and, and, and kind of like get out of whatever, you know, the box you've built around yourself. And so, of course, mm -hmm. I jumped at the opportunity when you were like, hey, I have a podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Let's do it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself realistically as an African person, knowing my listeners that they'll be like, what is going on here? Last week, she brought a gay guy. This week, she brought a left. Vera, where are you going? Where are you going with this? <laughs> are you trying to turn us into homosexual? What are you trying to do? You're trying to turn all of us gay. I promise you I'm not. <laughs> and funny enough, last week's guest also did... Um, well, he, I guess he believed in God, but he wasn't, he was no longer a Christian. Now he has a different set of beliefs. So uh, then we have, so I guess I looked at that and I was like, you guys, you think it's bad. Wait, let me bring Ruth on. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so let's, let, let, let us get into this. I'll start with this. Tell us a little bit about you. Like you shared this thing. Uh, and, and I know this doesn't encompass everything about your entire life, about be, learning to be okay with not being invited. But the thing is, how did you get to be here where you're now okay with not being invited? Uh, well, you know, um, my my journey and my story is a very, very uh, long and winding one. But, um, you know, the short short version of it is that, you know, I was basically born to a teenage mom. Um, and by the time I, I was five and I never got to actually live with my mother when I was born, my grandmother raised me. And then when I was about four, I went to live with my mom. And then a year later, my mom actually took her own life. My mom was someone who had mental health issues. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, by the time I had a sister who was two years younger than me and she died within that same year because, um, she got measles. So my, so my life from the very beginning was very, very tragic and kind of chaotic. And so I actually, <clears throat> I was actually lucky to, to be raised by all of my mother's siblings. And then when I turned 10, I uh, lived with my mom's youngest sister, who then raised me from the time I was 10 till the time I was 18 and left Zimbabwe. And then um, I went to England. And when I was 19, I found my way to America all by myself. And then, you know, in America, I I, I met a, a white man. I married him when I was 23. You know, I had my first child at 24, my second at 26. Um, and But then at 26, really kind of um, faced this um, internal struggle that had always existed. And, and that was that, you know, I, I was basically, I was not a heterosexual person. I was... I don't mm-hmm. attracted to girls. I mean, literally, I can tell you every girl I had a crush on from the time I was seven. You know, um, I had always uh, only had romantic dream- dreams that only were about girls, always, even when I was little. Um, but, you know, when I was married and 26, 27 in, in nursing school, I, I met a woman who just made me just no longer be able to to deny that there was something mm-hmm. really, um homosexual about me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and um and you know and there was an incident that happened that basically made me confront that and and come out to my husband which led to a whole thing he tried to have me deported i lost my kids i lost my job i lost everything you know, got out of jail a month later because luckily I have family who were here and who are here. 
And then I basically started from zero. I was lucky to get sole custody of my kids. And then from then on, so that was 2008. That's where, you know, um, this authentic me kind of, kind of grew out of that, out of all of, all of that tragedy and all of that, mm-hmm. all of that, the series of unfortunate events, you know, so yeah, 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 yeah. so. One thing strikes me, right? I noticed this in your TED talk and just now that you're talking is you're mentioning all these things, terrible things that happened to you and you keep saying that you were lucky. And so I'm just like, what kind of, I want to say juju, what kind of juju are you using? (laughs) 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 That after you go through these things, you still consider yourself one of the lucky ones. Yeah, well, I Vera, I'll tell you that I haven't always been of this mindset. I I uh-huh. was um plagued by my trauma for a very very long time. I think um you know, I I secretly dealt with my mother's suicide um in a very lonely way for about 20 more than 20 years. It actually stopped I think when my daughter was born where I would just have these bouts where if I'm alone, it started when I was really little, maybe right after she died. But I, when no one was around, I would just need to cry so hard and so long and just kind of get some, whatever it was out. And that, right. lasted, and that lasted until I was 24, right when I had my daughter. It was the last time I can remember having one of those episodes. But that, so I, I, so, so I'm, you know, so the, so there were so many years of pain and turmoil and, right. um, I think what is, what has changed the narrative, um, for me in the last 10 years is that I finally kind of like sought out a therapist and actually started doing some therapy mm. and, and then, so coming to head with all of my truths, right. And then, you know, coming to this place where, I kind of reached full acceptance, but not only that, where I started to look. So for example, I'll give you an example, you know, for 20 years, I blamed my mother for what she did because I I was the victim of the story. I was like, how could you leave two little girls? Why would you do this to us? And then I went through therapy and kind of like revisited that. And then, um, and then I realized that no, actually my mother was a victim of her disease, you know, my mother. And then I, I, I could see the human side of my mother and I no longer, it was almost like I could see the situation from a distance where I'm seeing her and seeing me. And before I could just see myself and I was just the victim and she, you know, and, and when I did that, I could kind of start seeing her own struggle and seeing how nobody chooses this. Nobody chooses what happened to her. And, you know, had she been born and raised in a different culture where mental illness is addressed, her path would have been different. And there's really no one to blame, you know? And so, and so I was able to give, to have more grace for her and then more grace for myself. And then, and then that then happens with everything, everything I looked at, you know, before as like, Mm -hmm. I was a victim of some horrible thing. I was able to look at it from a different perspective. And and really be able to kind of live life in this very um, 
almost like full of gratitude way mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. where you where, where very few things um can get to me very few, you know what I'm I, and and it's hard to explain but basically that's that's what happened yeah. yeah i i can only imagine i mean that's to go through something as losing your mom at when you were four and you probably didn't even understand it when you were four years old they might have said something like mommy went to heaven but then i don't know if a four-year-old comprehends what that really really means but to but the fact that your mom took her own life and growing up in in zimbabwe in africa where in fact the impression that i get about africans is we don't commit suicide you know like that's that's not a thing and now yeah, you know, like we we don't do that. <laughs> we, yeah, we don't. So, so, so you know what happened is because you know. So this happened in 1985, and uh-huh. the way you know, and it was a very it was a very tragic way. The way my mom took her own life was very tragic, and and I I want to warn your listeners. I've dealt with this, so for me, I can just talk about it, and it's not anything shocking to me. But to some people hearing it might be really jarring. But you know, my mom laid herself on railroad tracks and was literally kind of Mm. like a train ran over her. So that's a very, so what happened was because it is a culture that doesn't deal with any of that. So what happened was my relatives just pretended my mom never existed, which is even worse, right? For me, child, because I knew something had gone wrong. I knew. And so what happened was, all of that silence, my body just absorbed that. <laughs> All of that. Wow. So it's like people were silent, but then they spoke to me in their body language, right? So right. I remember just right. the pity. like people just looked at me with such pity, almost like my whole life. <laughs> but then mm. I wasn't like, if you met me, there's nothing pitiful about me. You know, like right. it was a very, it was a very confusing thing. It was a very, you know. In your TED talk, uh, you did say that growing up as an uh, orphaned African orphan child, that you had a lot of pity of hopelessness and nothing of substance was expected and failure was ordained. I thought that was powerful because I'm like, man, but to but, go but through life and they're not expecting you to accomplish well, but, anything. But, but Vera, you're African. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Just, absolutely absolutely just, I, I i know what it what it yeah, means to be not, african and have and it's african just, relatives yeah it's not just an african thing right so for example if you mm. look in society right if you mm-hmm. heard a kid is in foster care what are your first right. thoughts hopeless right right it's like, oh you man you don't you, you you judge that child by their circumstances which they have yeah. absolutely no control over you know, yes. so I think it's a societal problem in every society where we judge children based on circumstances that they had no control over and situations that. So that's that's what it was. You know, I don't think people were intentionally mean, you know. I think oh, yeah. That, yeah, I definitely don't think it's it, w- it would have been intentional. But, you know, it's a like in I know that in Nigeria, uh, at least here, it's a little bit better when you see a child who's like orphan you're like okay well they're gonna be in foster care or they'll be in the system and it's not good for anyone but it's different from nigeria where you actually might not even end up in an 
an orphanage. Like it might just be, you might be on the street for the rest of your life. It's just different. The opportunities here are different. Uh, that's not to say that any child should go through foster care or that is great, but just explain that at least here, there's some kind of hope, right? Maybe you yeah. get adopted by a really nice family, something like yeah. that. Yeah. In Nigeria, however, um, that may not be the case. People, yeah. there are kids who end up in the system in, in orphanage, but that might not even be the case. It yeah, might just that, be. A that, case. That's where my gratitude comes from, too, because yeah. as much as um, as much as my um, my mother's family that took me in, all of them did. All of my mother's siblings at some point took care of me. That's awesome. Um, even though I I wasn't treated like their own children, and they were, you know, and, which is just a cultural problem, right? It, it's just yeah. You know, um, I was still lucky, right? Because I never missed a day of school. Someone always paid my school fees, and so you know, mm. there were there were there were um, layers, right, of trauma. But overall, you know, I know that as an orphan, I was also really lucky because I was lucky enough to have relatives who did take me in. So I wasn't ever in an orphanage or anything like that. And for the most part, you know, I wouldn't be an author. I wouldn't be as brilliant as you describe me if my relatives hadn't made sure I got an education. And true. All of that. Yeah. Very true. You would have been a big shot. <laughs> <laughs> the big shot that you are today. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's absolutely true. And then you went through this difficult childhood and you made it from Zimbabwe to the UK to the United States just to face a brand new challenge. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I listened to your TED talk where you described the part where the Homeland Security came to your house. Yeah. What is it? At midnight with guns. And I was trying to imagine like the way they do it in the movies. (laughs) It it is exactly like they do it. Really? That's scary. bulletproof vests on and everything that is scary yeah yeah yeah. bulletproof it it was it was so crazy because i'm literally 95 pounds (laughs) and like like five five at the most you know so i'm like this tiny (laughs) tiny person yeah it was it was it was pretty interesting but yeah basically like yeah and it was like six of them it was it was insane were you afraid? Um, no, that's even silly to ask if you were. You had to be afraid, right? Um, I were you was. Confused? And, uh, so, so ironically, I had uh, started seeing my very first girlfriend. That was actually my first lesbian relationship already. <laughs> I, this is like three months after I'd separated from my husband or something. So she had actually, you know, spent the night and she was there. And I think, okay. I think that the bigger shame was for me was her watching this happen. That was hard. Mm. That was harder than, you know, cause I, I feel like, you know, I, I had gone through worse in my life. I, you know, faith, right. you know like, so, but, but having her witness this was, was really hard. Uh, and also my kids were there with me. Luckily my aunt wow. was able to come in to come and pick them up because otherwise I don't know what they would have done with my kids at that. Cause my kids were, right. my kids were little, they were like not even two and three years old. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't know that's how they made arrests for that. Um, I would think that's how they would arrest a violent person, not just for immigration. Like 
to come barging in with guns and bulletproof. I guess they have to exercise caution. I don't know, but I'm just like, wow, I didn't, I just didn't expect that that would be, I was in my head. If you had asked me how this kind of things happen, I would have thought there'll be a friendly knock on your door. <laughs> like, Hey Ruth, can you kindly follow us <laughs> for some questioning about the status of your documentation? That's what I was imagining. Not that they will take you in at midnight like this. That's that's really scary. So you go through this and uh, you said you spent a month in jail on your 29th birthday? Yes. So I think they came... Um, yeah, I think... Um, was it the 28th that they came to get me? I'm forgetting the dates, but yes, I spent a a month in jail. Um, I turned, yeah, I turned 29 in jail. I missed new year and all of that. Um, it was pretty sad. My girlfriend and I had planned to go to, um, Florida for my birthday. I missed it. It was just, you know, yeah, I can't, I, I can't, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine all that. So thankfully you had family and they took your kids. And so now you spent the jail. You came on, you said you lost your nursing job. Cause that again, from the Ted talk, yes. you lost your uh, job. Yes, I did. And what, so what my ex-husband did was he, um, literally, so he knew that my paperwork had not been, uh, fixed because we ran into a problem. And the problem was that he needed, his his birth certificate um he did not have a birth certificate because his mom okay. had never gotten one he had a birth record okay. and his birth record did not match his his alias that he was using because oh. there, you know because there were such um like ghetto white people i think when he turned 16 his mom just took him to the dmv and then gave him her current husband's last name without any oh. it was a whole big mess that he would have needed to fix and so he knew that so he knew that my paperwork hadn't gone anywhere and i had been out of, right. out of status and i i don't know if he already had taken my passport at some point because we were together six years so i don't know right you know, right. but, but I, you know, so I think that this was something he already had in his back pocket that if I ever tried to leave him, then he was going right. to me in. So what he did was he literally walked into Homeland Security and handed in my passport and told him whatever the story he told him, then took my nursing license to the, um, oh, to the, to wow. the <laughs> yeah, like, this is how vindictive of a, now later on, years later, he did he was um, diagnosed bipolar. So he did have a mental health issue as well. So, so, I mean, he was, he was a mean person, but there was also a mental health illness behind it because mm -hmm. you know, the, the only reason I actually was awarded sole custody of my kids was the judge uh, dealing with the custody said that he had never seen anyone be that mean and vindictive. Like when the judge oh, wow. heard that he had tried to have me deported, he was basically like, if she's going to go back to Zimbabwe, I want her to go with her kids. I want you like the judge felt that right. for me that like he was like, I'm gonna try to make your life as easy as possible because oh, I don't want wow. to ever have to deal with that person. So if my ex husband actually wanted to be, you know, to get back at me, he should have been nice because I would have had a harder time even just getting so right. 
the kids. Right. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or even getting my VAWA approved. All of that stuff would have been so much harder if he was a nice guy, you know? Wow. So, yeah. This is uh, when, when somebody... Uh, digs you uh, a hole to fall in and they fall inside of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's pretty sad because like, you know, after all of this happened and he did all of that, he actually fell into a meth addiction pretty bad and ended up spending three years in prison, you know, and, and all of it. So his life really kind of, yeah, it, it, it's pretty sad. I mean, he's been on his back on his feet, you know, for about three years or so now, but you know, yeah, he, he, it's unfortunate though. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Mental illness does weird things to people, you know, I don't right. I think that with, without the mental bipolar thing, this is who he would be. Um, cause you know, I, I want to believe that there is, you know, he, he has a part of him that, you know, and I know he loves his children. Um, he just, I think sometimes it's hard to really function as the person you want to be you know, when you're right. struggling with mental illness, it, it doesn't excuse the vindictiveness and of course the meanness. And, you know, my, my kids and I had to have years of therapy. Like we wouldn't be, my kids wouldn't be, wow. well, because they faced two months of being, you know, not knowing where I am moving mm. back and forth. You know, when I finally got my kids, they had some real uh, post-traumatic stress things happening. You know, my son was bedwetting, my daughter oh, had constant stomach problems because kids carry the anxieties, stomach problems for kids, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. So they had all of these things going on and, you know, we had to work with the therapist for a year and, and just, I had to really try to, to be stable, have a stable, like kept him in the same school, say, you know, because right. needed some stability in there. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you met them now as, as you know, they're 15 and 14 now, you, you would have no idea that they went through all of that, you know, because they're, they're just really well-rounded, amazing teenagers. But, yeah. That's really great. Now, tell me, how did you get to the point where you decided that uh, you need therapy? You and your kids need therapy. I'm asking because... That's not our thing either, right? In the no, it's not our thing. We speak oh to God. spiritual okay, so, leaders. Right, you know, so, yes. Okay. So I will go into that because here's another thing I want to say about us as human beings. So as much as I talked about my husband, my ex-husband, mm -hmm. and me mm -hmm. being the victim of whatever his unresolved trauma, his mental illness. Well, there was someone, you know, my first, my very first girlfriend, she mm -hmm. my victim because I you know, in that relationship. And I don't know if it's because that relationship was actually for me, my, my, my first true relationship because it was my most authentic self. Right. It was, so it was like, you. you know what I'm saying? It was my first romantic relationship in a way, because this was the first time my entire being was in love with someone like all of me, you know mm. what I'm saying? Without me, without the wondering why it feels so, why there's just this horrible feeling when I want right. to be intimate with this person, you know, this was my, because I was, you know, I am a lesbian. So being with a woman was like the first time that I was really, truly bringing myself into a relationship. And so mm -hmm. what happened was I kept, oh, I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's okay. 
my I'm on my daughter's laptop, so her friends are calling her. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it was uh, it was so it was my first time bringing my full self into a relationship, and um, unfortunately, when we have unresolved trauma, what happens? Mm-hmm. We keep self-sabotaging. And what do I mean by that? So what I mean by self-sabotaging due to unresolved trauma, it's like knowing that cigarettes cause lung cancer and debilitating health effects, but then smoking a cigarette one after another, not being able to stop it. It's um, self-sabotaging is knowing that, you know, obesity leads to all kinds of health issues, but Mm -hmm. not stopping yourself from eating that pizza, the whole thing, not stopping. That's what unresolved trauma does. It it causes us to not understand why we can't choose the right thing for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So what I did with this relationship is that I kept cheating on, on, on my first girlfriend. And she was, and and she was the most. She was the most amazing partner to me. The most amazing mother to my kids. She was really. But then remember, I'd just gone through this awful, horrible thing, you know. And I hadn't dealt with any of my childhood trauma. And then here's a person who's willing to love me fully. And of course, she she pays the price because she's she's loving an unhealed person you know and so when I would do some of these things like when she would catch me cheating you know she'd be like you know you really need a therapist you have a lot of trauma and I'll be like what do you what are you what do you mean (laughs) that's for white people (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) what do you mean and then and what happened was um you know the last time she caught me cheating she actually left she left for good like she took everything mm. all the furniture we had bought together she even unhooked the shower heads <laughs> <laughs> i like that kind of petty <laughs> no, no, but like this is the fifth time like she you know she right. was done. It's like i'm taking um, everything get your yeah, own shower and, head Ruth. <laughs> and um and that really forced forced me to uh to sit with myself and be like man, I'm really messed up because I could really look at the whole thing and go, I had such an amazing person. I had such an amazing life with this person. Why Mm -hmm. did I at every opportunity look for a way to mess it up? What is wrong with me? You know, so that was the first time I stopped. And then, you know, and then she, because she had talked about the therapy thing so much, I finally um, booked an appointment with the therapist and then when I, when I sat on that chair, you know, I, I, I'd experienced some catharsisism with my, cause I had started to write my memoir when I was in mm-hmm. jail and there was a lot of release and a lot, I was uh, really surprised at all of the um, memories that I had even hidden from myself that came up from my childhood. Wow. And so I'd, I'd started that process of kind of like catharsisism, like really, which is basically revisiting your childhood and mm-hmm. how many, how many things come up that you have, you know, purposely like your, your mind protects you from. And so, you know, and I, so I just started going to therapy and 
Yeah, I and it's you know like I people that have never been to therapy don't understand or don't see how therapy works. But when you when you go to therapy, it just works. There's something about revisiting hmm. your your you know whatever you know that your childhood, revisiting all of that, um, that just releases you know whatever the pain, the hurt. Or also gives you a different perspective, and you know, I've I, uh, I've now gotten you know I have a cognitive behavioral uh, therapy certificate now because I wanted to help other people wow. just for free, just for, and so I've been doing it for a while, and it's pretty magical. Even from the other side, I'm not I'm not giving these people any. I don't write prescriptions. I don't write medications. Okay. okay. But I just talk to them about you know why why they are behaving in certain ways or why they are reacting in certain ways and and you know helping them kind of have a different perspective of looking at things and it's amazing how just like within three months a person's life completely changes wow you know so this is something you know cognitive behavioral therapy is something we need to start talking about more um as africans uh because a lot of us you know come from families that have never done the work of healing. So for example, like yeah. in my family, I am now kind of like the torch bearer because now I'm talking mm-hmm. to ev- all my cousins, everybody, my kids, hey, therapy is a thing. Hey. And mm-hmm. slowly, slowly you see one by one people jumping into that therapy pe- pool. And it it makes a difference. But someone has to start with it. Like it's like if you if you don't have awareness of something you don't even know it exists yeah. or, or how much it helps you know absolutely um, yeah. yeah so so therapy yeah it's a thing and it makes and it's pretty life changing yeah i've never been to a therapist um but it's it is in my to-do list now not because of the conversation i had with you but just generally looking over my life thinking about childhood to now I'm like there are definitely things that I would like to talk to someone about there are questions I have not to say that some human being can answer all my questions but they can definitely point me in the right direction maybe I can answer these questions that are, maybe I need to ans- ask the right questions right to get the answers that I'm looking for but yeah it's it's definitely something that I I look into do um I want to ask you Although I think I know the answer, but if you hadn't gone through all these things, these, uh, this series of unfortunate events, would you be who you are today? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I actually, you know, the more time goes on, the more hindsight I have, you know, to be honest, Mm -hmm. I actually, you know, when I, when I was in jail for a month and kind Mm -hmm. of lost everything, you know, just all of a sudden had this rug pulled from underneath of me. I mm-hmm. lost, um, I lost 20 pounds in 30 days. Cause I, I wouldn't, oh. I couldn't, you know, cause, uh, being separated from my, it was my children. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't the job. It wasn't the house. It wasn't just my children. Because I think, because I, I was a child who grew up without their mother. Right. So that's like my yeah. wound. Right. And so that was almost unimaginable for me. And I think that my own childhood, 
knowing what it feels like to grow up without a mother and all of that, mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of built some emotional resilience in me that was able to withstand that time of my life. Because that was a really hard time of my life, like going through all of that. But, uh, oh, hold on. Sorry. I don't know. My daughter's friends keep calling her. Um, Your daughter is, a, um, is she a big shot too? <laughs> hi. Well, yeah, she's she's something else in her own own right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but um, I yeah. So I think you know one thing that happened in my growing up was that because I was the orphan, I had. Mm way more responsibility and accountability from a young age. And I've, and it's, it's a weird thing because I think, you know, my aunts and uncles, they, they, they did this because it was like, you know, you have nobody, so you better know how right. to do everything for yourself. You know what I'm saying? How mm. you better know. And, and, you know, that was an amazing thing for me. It's unfortunate they didn't do that with their own kids because they were under this, this delusion that, they would their kids would always have somebody you know right I mean? but right. So then the person the adult it built in me you know that because i i i did come here by myself at 19 and i you know and i've experienced so many things where i've had to start from zero and i just rise i you know what i'm saying like i just have this yeah. ability to like land on my feet no matter how far the drop is you know Mm. Um, yeah but but that is absolutely because of of my my experiences studying in childhood you know I've always had to fight I've always had you know I stayed in uh growing up sometimes I'd go stay with my aunt and uncle that have like seven eight kids and wow. all of you know you're the pariah you know right right so there was so I had to constantly fight for and stand in my you know what I'm saying I constantly yeah. And all of that stuff, yeah, has absolutely contributed to, to, to how resilient I am and how much I can withstand things and kind of, you know, just kind of come out almost unscathed. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, trying to find an adequate uh, definition of emotional resilience. And I saw one that I like. It said, it refers to one's ability to adapt to stressful situations or crisis is the ability to adapt to adversity without losing, without lasting difficulties. And I thought, yeah, that's that. That is that is pretty. That is yeah. That is precisely it. That is precise. And that is something that it's like a a muscle. It has to be mm -hmm. built. You can't just. Gotcha. You, you have to train your emotions too. And so, but the thing though, Vera, is that like. So now I'm raising pretty privileged kids. Sure, my kids mm -hmm. have experienced stuff, but for the right. most part, they are, they are American kids with a lot right. of kids who right. whose childhood has been nothing like mine. For example, you know, my daughter is 15; she's had a car for a year. <laughs> you know, so they're you know wow. so they're, they're, they're having a very different experience. But I'm still aware that it is my job to instill to make sure that my kids have some emotional resilience built for themselves because if i don't do that then they will also break in their adult life because you know tragedy comes for everyone hard times come for mm -hmm. everyone so definitely so even though they're having a different experience 
I still, you know, so for example, in all of the ways that I was held accountable and responsible, my kids are doing that. My, my kids started doing their own laundry at seven years old. I've never touched. If I say I've never touched a single wow. piece of clothing, I mean, I've never touched since they were seven. It's their job. Wow. Their, uh, they've been since quarantine. How many months ago is that? Four or five months? I've, yeah. never, I've never washed a dish in, the, in this house. Since since they came out of school, it's their job. Clean every I you know. Wow. So, never, so even though I'm raising my kids in a very different environment, I'm still I've taken all of the 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 pieces of my own life that have that built me and mm-hmm. really tried to instill that in them because I also see how the people that didn't get what I got what they became as mm-hmm. adults and how mm-hmm. they struggle. And so mm-hmm. I can kind of see, I can really see, you know, kind of like the difference, you know, in adulthood it makes to be raised certain ways. You know, what I've only, the, the thing that I've made sure to do, though, is like taking the parts that didn't feel good. So, for example, right. I was made to work because I was the girl. So there's nothing like that. In my there's no gender role. My kids, you know what I'm saying? So because the work part wasn't bad. The fact that I was made to work was not bad. It was the fact that it was done in an unfair way that was bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you're a girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So being able to go back and really look at those things and, you know, kind of like pick the good and separate instead of, but you know what, what tends to happen is like when people have unresolved trauma. So I would say, Oh my God, I did all the work as a kid. My kids are never going to do any work. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's really about finding the balance, you know, because when we overcompensate because we of our own unresolved trauma, we just create bigger problems in, in our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so walk me through this now. You're an African woman. Mm-hmm. You're divorced oh my god and mm-hmm. as if that's not bad enough you now decide that you're a lesbian <laughs> How no, I, didn't, was... I didn't i didn't decide i'm a lesbian well, no 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 I, but I, I meant like to your family they're oh, looking okay. at you like oh you're divorced okay so i should have clarified okay. yeah so you're divorced which is also f- usually frowned upon in the african community and yeah. so then they have to deal with that and then you're coming out and telling them eps I'm, I'm a lesbian now too so yeah. how was that for them? In what did did your family and friends, and I'm talking about those in the African community, did their attitudes change towards you? Did yeah, they so, stop? Um, so, so it was it was pretty interesting. So I was married to a very very handsome, um, you know, white guy who was okay. also really really abusive, but very charming, you know, to when anyone else was around. So which mm-hmm. is abusers are usually that way they're usually really charming you know in the public yeah. um so when when i when i told my aunt who raised me that um you know i was uh thinking of ending you know i wanted out of my marriage she cried and begged me to not end it mm-hmm. because to her the outside you know what i'm saying the outside yeah. Um, yeah. appearance of it all, you know, my daughter's married to this white guy. The, that was kind of an an important image, you know. Right. Um, and I'm and I'm told that like literally back home, you know, it it was this like 
thing that like oh my god like videos of him and i and the kids like people would sit around and watch them and i'm like what <laughs> you know i mean wow. it's a very you know what I'm there's, there's this um almost like uh fetishizing or like right glorify, you know gl- glorification you know just to the idea of being married to a white man type thing yeah that we have in our african cultures you know yes yes um so yeah, so she didn't. My aunt didn't understand what what what. Just just saying, hey, you know, I'm not happy in this marriage. He's abusive. Just that part alone, you know, to her, I should have just. Well, not, uh, what do they say? Just just, <laughs> just stay. This is how marriages are. Just you know, suffer whatever. You know, they are really yeah yeah. And, and I I you know I I wasn't gonna do it. And then I didn't even give people time because. I think from the time I, like, like I told you, cause I'd only been separated for three months and I already had a girlfriend. Um, and <laughs> you gotta tell us by the way, how that works, like, <laughs> because you know, I'm divorced and I, I, I have people who reach out and, and, and friends I know asking, you know, <laughs> how do we meet new people? And then you got it done in three months. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to brag, but like women love me. Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to need to figure out how we can have the same effect. Okay. Cause I'm like three months. What? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah, yeah. And, and I was and that relationship lasted like three years. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, yeah, no, okay, we, really? yeah, I, it just happened. I don't know. Like it just happened. We clicked and, 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 and it, it was pretty awkward because he was practically still living under the same roof as I was. It, yeah, it was, it was kind of a mess, but, um, wow. yeah. So I started showing up to African things with this blonde, tall woman who, who was clearly like my lover like it was pretty obvious oh wow um, and so you know initially you know i think so there were there were a lot of prayer meetings done for me but there were so many other you know there were other things going on right so because i i was divorcing someone who was really kind of like who who really reacted in a in a very kind of vindictive way so Mm -hmm. you know so so i think there there were prayers for like just my safety and stuff but then there were also definitely prayers for okay now she's a homosexual Something is definitely going on with her. Pray for her. I mean, um, I'll tell you something. A lot of people walked away. Like, you know, like, for example, my favorite aunt and uncle growing up, my aunt literally said to me that she's a Christian and she doesn't believe in in this. And that was the last time. That email back in, I think it was 2008, that, that was the last communication I've ever had with that aunt and uncle. And they were my favorite. Really? Yeah, a, a, a lot of friends, um, same thing. But what happens when we dare to step into our authenticity is that people come in who love us as our authentic selves, who fill in the ga- gaps of, that was that was you know that were left right. by they were left by the people, the people that walked that away wanted you know that wanted to love me according to their definition, according, you know what I'm saying? And so mm. it's not like I've 
really felt the loss. There's, you don't feel the loss. Like I, you know, it's just like, so just like when I walked away from religion, uh, of course, a lot of, you know, ch- my church family were like, oh my God, you know, and, but then people who are also agnostic and atheists just fill those gaps. Those people just came into my life. It happens very organically. So just like, for example, Vera, before you were divorced, right? You, uh-huh. I don't know what you felt about divorce, but then now that you're a divorced woman, how many other divorced women do you see and come across all the time? Oh, they reach out all the time. Exactly. Yes. I, exactly. You, you're right. I so definitely do. Yeah. So we, before we come into an awareness of any identity, we are very afraid. There's a lot of fear of the unknown. But once we step into it, we find that there's an entire world of other people just like us, you know? Right. Um, you know, so I'm talking about like, you know, women definitely like me. And a lot of those women are African women and some of them are married African women. Like that hit on me all the time. So it's what? Not- yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, Ruth, but yeah. uh, at that the guest said that when he was, in Nigeria, that most of the men he dated were married men, priests, and pastors. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so, but here's here's what happens. So when when you come out, so I've I've been out publicly for twelve years now. So it's basically like I'm this beacon of light, right? That's saying <laughs> I'm less. You know what I'm saying? So everyone from afar can kind of see that, like, because I've I've self-identified, right? So, right. so anybody that has a bi curiosity that has all of a sudden they're like, oh, that person, <laughs> right? You know, so wow. that's like what it's like. It's really like you know how bugs are attracted to light. <laughs> you know, and wow. actually, yes, it's really that kind of effect. It's really that kind of effect where, like, so it's not like it's not like there's any city in the world I can go to and not find someone, some woman who's some women who are going to fall in love with me. That's that just doesn't. That's, I'm so glad you're so humble about it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I no look. I'm happily partnered. I have a girlfriend. I'm I'm not single. I'm just saying, I'm just trying right. to like really denounce this notion that like we are some kind of like leapers who are unlovable, who are, you'd be surprised that people who want to be with me, like, that's just the thing. Like, it's not at all like what people who, it's not what people mm-hmm. think, like, you know, like mm-hmm. when you hear a lesbian, you know what you think that means and my reality are very different things. Hmm. So, so now how, because for people who are listening to this, um, not being invited or included or not even being considered by the people who are, or at least were once very important to you, like in your case, now your favorite aunt and uncle uh, friends, how does one deal with that? I know you get, you, you, you make new friends and you have new loves that come into your life, but how do you still deal with it emotionally that this person or these people who were once important to you are not including you anymore? That's cause that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. I, you know what? I think that my, the way that I deal with that would, would be probably different from a lot of people's because remember, I've always been an outsider from when I was, I was a little, yes. since I was born. Yes. 
So I think that for me, it's not something I never had to learn. It's always been part of my existence. You know, because every home I was in, I was so aware that I don't be- I don't belong in that home. I'm not a member of that home, right? And mm. then also, you know, I had instances growing up where, you know, the photographer would come to take portraits of the family and I was not part of the portraits of the family, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And I you know, so, so, and, and so that I, I assume that then that builds a, a, a layer of skin just right. So I think maybe that's why it's so easy for me. That's why it's so, because I see see how other people struggle with that. And I can't relate because I don't struggle. Like Vera, if you said, you know what, Ruth, I want nothing to do with you. There would be no part of me that hurts over that. Like I would be very understanding because what Mm. it means to me, Vera, is that you are just, allowing me to be more of myself without your feelings being involved got you you know so so my aunt and uncle sure it was painful that they decided but in the same token they gave me permission to be more myself it would have been harder if they had stayed in my life and challenged my sexuality right you know what i'm saying it's better that they leave me they choose to leave me as i am take me as i am or leave me as i am you know Mm. yeah Wow. And so what would your advice be to people who don't have this skin that you have, people who have not had the chance to build this muscle of emotional resilience? How do they deal with not being included for whatever reason? Uh, it doesn't have to be coming out of the closet. It doesn't have to be there. For whatever reason, people they care about are not including. It could be divorce, for example, you know, yeah. uh, um, the, so divorce what? people, especially women do go through that stigma yeah um one thing that i've re life has really taught me is that it's it's really it's never about you it's ne- it's everybody we mm. everyone we we meet everyone we deal with is 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 reacting from their own perspective from their own right. mental from their own you know what i'm saying so um uh, you know, so for example, like I told you, I, I have a cleaning business, you know, how yes. do new potential clients treat me has nothing to do with me. So for example, I can meet a client who will just be like, what about my things? Are my things safe? Do I have to work? Has anything ever been stolen? And, and just have this right. over, oh, you, is your crew, you know, all of the, but then in this, in the same day, I can meet another new client who leaves a key and never, mm-hmm. never sees us or meets us for another year. Never once asks about whether anything will go missing. Do you see right. that? There's nothing to right. do. With the same, right. the same. But I'm meeting two people that are coming at me from their own perspective in life, and and therefore, who they are to me, even though I'm the same person are two very different things. And so when you come to that point, because what, so in the same token, right, we've talked about my aunt who I haven't spoken to since. I, right. Token, guess what? I've had family that absolutely went unwavering in their love and support. I have family that I vacation with and we are in it and it was never a thing. So, and, and mm. that's family, right? So if I just look at, you know, the horrible things and go right. on, me, 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 well, but 
you know, you so so get to a place you understand that people are going to react to you from their own place of understanding. And I always, very, very. I always choose people who choose me. And I and, like that. Yes. And the more I do that, the happier that I am. Because then I, like I said, Vera, if you're like Ruth, you know, you're just not for me. That's perfectly fine because there are a hundred people who are for me. So if I just right. spent my life really upset that Vera says I'm not for, but I'm missing out on the hundred people that are for me. You know, right. you know, so right. another thing, for example, is, um, you know, when I, when I started my cleaning business, you know, which was due to the fact that, that, you know, I'd lost my nursing you license, lost your nursing license. I, I had written a book I, and I was really kind of worried because I had basically exposed everything in my closet, you know, right. in this book. But guess what? That very book is what led clients to me because those were clients. Really? Were, yes. So there were people in the LGBT community who actually wanted an oh. LGBTQ-owned business. There were, so what my fears were completely unwarranted. But And actually just by being my authentic self in this book, that actually gave me the very business, the very platform to build my business. Wow. That is a powerful lesson in um, people just going ahead and doing it. Whatever that thing is that you're thinking absolutely. and overthinking. I'm talking to absolutely. myself too. Yes. Go yes. ahead and do it. Yes. Absolutely. And stop being afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be, and, and you'll be amazing. And I talked about this before, like, You'll be amazed at what happens to your life when you step into your authentic self. So, so, so who I was 12 years ago when I was pretending to be this straight person married to this person, working mm. as a nurse, that to me, I think back sometimes and I, you know, I see myself in photographs and stuff and I cannot recognize that person. I don't know who that person is. Wow. Because my life is not just different, but so much fuller, you know, so much mm. more expansive, you know, in the last 20 years when, I mean, 12 years when I've lived just in my own, you know, like really, like really searching and examining myself and going, mm -hmm. you know, no religion. Yeah, no, it's not for me. It doesn't. And then finding just like how comfortable I am in that, you know, you know what I'm saying? And even like, right. you know, so for example, you know, just okay, I've, I'm a lesbian, but then there's a spectrum. There are some women who are pan, meaning they're just attracted to, to the person and not the body, you know. There are some women who are bi, you know. And so even going through that mm. where I'm like, oh, I'm actually one of those women who's completely a lesbian. I, I have no sexual attraction to men. I, You know, so all of, and just going through that where you're really examining yourself and like how did I come to this conclusion of, you know, of where I think that this is my right. identity, whatever that is, right. you know what I'm saying? And even just like, okay, with, with my gender, you know, where do I sit? You know, so I'm, I'm female, but then I'm more androgynous because you probably never see me wearing a dress because, you know, the way I dress is mm -hmm. what feels comfortable. All of those things, you know? And so when you start going through that kind of stuff and you, you really find yourself, you also just kind of walk differently. You know what I'm saying? I, like I can I've imagine. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. now you're, you're, it, it finally feels right. Yeah. 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 
your yeah. in your natural space. Yeah. So I feel like I live an examined life. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. I live an examined life. And and one thing I know is that people that don't live an examined life don't understand people that live examined lives. <laughs> <laughs> Which would make sense. <laughs> You said something in your TED talk that I wrote down and I, I really, really liked it. So let me read this out real quick. You okay. said our struggles should not define us and how small other people make us feel should not take away our desire to experience life in its fullest. Uh, I really, really liked that from your um, TED Absolutely. talk. Yeah, because um, people can make you feel small. Yeah. Like the things that they say to you or do to you. And it's mostly people you care about. Because if you didn't care about them, then whatever they were saying or doing probably wouldn't matter much. Yeah. But it's so, those people you care about. They say or do things that make you feel tiny. Yeah. So um, so because I was an orphan, you can only imagine the things that were said to me. <laughs> you mm. can right? So, for example, one thing that never leaves my mind, I have an aunt who used to tell me that I was never going to drive a car. Wow. <laughs> like for some reason, like she felt the need to tell me this, right? Because I was a girl, I was an orphan. But guess what, Vera? I, I had my first car when I was 19 years old. You know, I've had so many cars. Now my kids wow. keep cars. My son is getting a car. He's 14. My daughter is 15. She's had a car for, you know. But, you know, what I've come to understand over time is that my aunt was projecting her own failure. Right, right. She was a woman who had never driven a car. So for her, it was unimaginable. And maybe it was something she wanted to do. So, so mm. just like her reconciling with that failure for herself, I was an easy target to project on. And, right. so, and, and, I, and I, I was told many, many things uh, growing up. Because I was an orphan, so it was easy to project on me. Uh, people who are unhealed always look for the weaker, you know, the weakest. Right. And that's right. why, yeah, yeah, that's why even like stepkids are abused. That's why whoever is not part of the core nuclear family faces the most, maids in our cultures are abused. Yes. Unhealed. So we, we want to, we will treat other people horribly because of our own stuff. So, um, so I've had to really reconcile with, there were so many things that were said about just how hopeless my future was, but God. my future was, none of it came true. Why? Because those people were just projecting onto me. It wasn't anything, right. again, it was not, nothing to do with me. It had nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable, but still, I'm just. Yeah. thinking to myself why one would feel the need to say such horrible things but like you said yeah. it wasn't about you yeah but people people say horrible things because people have unresolved traumas of their mm. own you know so um you know and we all do this unconsciously right we we're mm -hmm. grappling with something or someone that hurt us and without knowing it or seeing it so it's basically for example like you know i if you have a relationship right you were in an abusive relationship or something mm -hmm. like that or someone cheated on you and then the next person you're with immediately you don't trust them it has nothing to do with right. like you you know but but you're dealing with your own unresolved stuff right, right. so all of right. a sudden 
you know, your, your insecurities, you project, and we do that with almost everything as human beings. And, you know, so once you come to that understanding too, where you realize that, yeah, people, when people are unhealed or hurt, people hurt people. You know, yes. that's really, yes. really true. hurt people, hurt people, you know. So I've really come to this reconciliation, like just with my culture and my family, where um, I understand yeah, everything that happened to me and that was sad. And that was, like people were just hurting themselves and they didn't know. And, that, and, and it's, you know, and it, it's it's not, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's like things didn't turn out that way. So, right. you know. You know, and I, I was having, because I also have my things, right, that I hold on to sometimes. And, um, um, oh, I was actually talking to my to my landlord one time. Okay. And, you know, and I don't know why I was really emotional because I just, because I kept going, you know, what if he, what if I had been deported and my mom did not have a, my kids did not have a mother. Right. You know? and like, right. For some reason, like that thought really made me, and he looked at me and he said, Ruth, that's not what happened. You were over there like, crying about the possibility. Like, why, why am I going into an emotional crisis over a scenario? <laughs> but did he, and, and it snapped me back into my senses, but we are all doing that. Right. So for example, right. yeah, my aunt, told me for years and years I would never drive a car but I've I drove a car sooner than almost everyone in my family so you know what I'm saying and then now my right. kids are driving cars so why would I still be holding on to those words it didn't right. Said, right. Not happen <laughs> you know mm. yeah yeah so that's a, so that's another point of perspective where like if you find yourself struggling with a thought or an unkind thing, you know, that, you know, or like that teacher that said, you are never going to be anything. Mm -hmm. Well, that wasn't, if you're now an adult and you're fine, then you need to drop that thought. You know, that that's very interesting that you say that I have a, a relative, an aunt of mine who said some horrible things when I was a child and she didn't actually say these words to me. They were said to my mom. Uh, but I was a child and I was there and I heard, and I, I don't remember how the argument happened. Uh, it, it, but you know how it is in the, tr in the traditional African family where, you know, the wife takes all the beatings, right? So, yeah. so yeah. this, this relative is my father's relative. And she said all these horrible things to my mom. And even though I was a child, I was, I don't know, maybe about eight, if I'll guess nine, but I still remember it. And, you know, I never forgave her for those words. And when I heard she died, all I was thinking was I didn't get to tell her how I felt about what she said. I don't even know if my mom remembers she said these things to her, but I remember. Oh. Right, like I remember. And that's all I think about. You know, her kids added me on Facebook and it was like immediately all I felt was anger. And oh, and I don't even know the kids. Out, yeah, they're out. much older than me. They're mu they're mu the kids are much, much older than me. You know, so I'm, they're, I'm like their baby cousin. But still, I know that I bear this animosity. They don't even oh, know, you know. And they were there when this thing was said. And the, yeah, but then look at how it's spilling on to the next yeah. generation. Yeah. Like those kids are not responsible for what their mother said. You no, know? they're, they're no, not. But in, in my head, it's like, don't talk to me. I don't like it more. <laughs> Even like the mother is dead, but in my mind, I'm like, well, that's what she gets. Okay. She was mean. <laughs> 
Yeah. And another, you know, you know, um, I, you know, I also got to this point where, you know, because, you know, grief and pain and, and trauma, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a process, right? So there was a, there was a time that I, I really hoped and really wanted my ex-husband to suffer, you know, right. but right. that's not the, that doesn't aid my healing, you know? So, right. you know, when I did the work and, 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 and therapy and stuff, I, I realized that actually, no, the best revenge is just me living my best life. Right. Because, yeah. Right. Because, because if I'm, because it doesn't, it, it honestly, it doesn't do anything for you to keep, you know, what we, we think that when people hurt us and we are holding on to that animosity, we think that it's hurting them somehow. Right. And but it's, it's hurting really us. Not. It's really not. They probably don't even remember that they, right. you know, you know, and, and it's so funny because like now, and it's not that this is something that hurts me, but I will occasionally bring up the fact that Africans prayed for me and my gayness. And Africans <laughs> that are in this community are like, they don't remember that they did that. Because right. Right. <laughs> the sky didn't fall, right? Like, you know, right. I mean, like, so, they, but then I still remember, I still remember that they did. Yeah. There's a, there's a Nigerian proverb that says that, uh, the person that shits the shits will not remember. The person that packs the shits will remember. So that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty much what it is. They don't remember, but you remember. And you know, I don't know if my like I said, I don't think my mom even remembers this, and I don't want to bring it up because in case she doesn't remember, I don't want to remind her. Yeah. Uh, but I remember. And when I talked to my dad, because my dad was present when this happened, he's like, no, that didn't happen. I was like, yes, it did. And he's like, well, you're too young to remember. I was like, no, I'm not, which just made me even angrier. Like, stop telling me I don't remember. I'm telling you that I remember, you know? Yeah, but then, and this is, Vera, this is why you need to go to therapy to address. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. Without a shadow of doubt, I do. Like, when this woman died, I did not reach out to tell anybody i'm sorry for your loss because i was like i'm not gonna tell a lie i'm not sorry for your loss okay she was mean so but but it's like i'm <laughs> i'm but, laughing about it now but i i don't want to carry that yeah and i'm laughing now i'm not I'm, I'm not i won't lie to you now and tell you that i'm over it i'm really not i, yeah, I can laugh yeah. about it now and but i'm really you know, and, and we and we have so many of those things within us that we're not over yeah. and that we're still, and, and those things are kind of they're keeping you from your own kind of full joy and vulnerability yeah. like yeah. you know what I'm saying? they're keeping you from being able to, you know, you were talking about, you know, you've been divorced and then you, you know, how haven't you found someone or whatnot? A lot of it is one of the reasons why I can jump into, you know, relationships and ex- experience mm. fully is because I'm also very vulnerable. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like if a relationship ends, I work through it, you know, mm-hmm. I work through that breakup. I really let it go. And then the next time I I meet someone, I'm jumping in with both feet. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not carrying any residual things from this previous thing or you know and but then I find that that's something that happens, right? Like especially right. I, I want to say even with straight women, right? Like you know, okay, yeah. Vera, you probably know an aunt or two 
the, the, there was a divorce or something happened in the marriage, she never mm-hmm. married again, never dated again, ever. Yeah. That's yeah, not, yeah, definitely. Even that's death, that's like when you lose a husband, wait, wait. I mean, husbands, if they lose their wife, they marry quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Women, I was, I was only recently thinking about this, Ruth, that my grandma, who's 84, she lost her husband before I was even born. So, and now I'm thinking to, and she was still young. Cause you know, back then you married even way earlier. Yeah. So she was pretty young when she and lost why? her husband. And, and so why? now that I'm much older, I'm like, why? My grandma has been single probably now for over 40 years, probably. Because no, no. she's yeah. she's 84 now. So yeah, and yeah, I, she and was I, very young yeah. when she got married. So I'm thinking to myself, wait, why didn't she remarry? Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, <sighs> you know, you know, romantic love is like Honestly, like you, you give love one more chance and always one more chance and always one more chance. You know what oh. I'm saying? Like, it's not like, <laughs> <laughs> I joke to my friends and I say that <laughs> I still have PTSD from my marriage. Yeah, but it's not a joke though. Right. Yeah. I'm laughing when I'm saying it, but it's not and a joke. I'm saying it jokingly, but I probably do have, yeah. and, and it's not even, see when I'm even talking about seeing a therapist, ironically, it's not even about the marriage. It's even things from childhood. That I'm only now thinking about like, Oh, you know, those, those are things I need to deal with. But right. in terms of my marriage, I meet a guy now and he says anything that reminds me of the ex. I'm like, Nope. <laughs> you need to come to a place where you can hold someone as their own person you know like you don't conflate you know, <laughs> things that are similar you don't you know what i'm saying like they I'm have trying <laughs> this is what therapy does therapy really oh, does good where let me let me give you a short example before i let you go in my marriage i was uh my ex was terrible with money right he had a better job earned more money but i was the better i always had more money so i ended up spending he would always go into these business ventures that failed things that i told him would not work but you know i didn't know what the hell yeah. i was talking about so he went ahead and did them but my anger then was that after these things failed it always fell on me i now i had to bring out my own money to fix this thing right okay you've charged this credit card now i gotta pay this debt that i didn't even incur so then i met a person a man recently well not that recent i guess who uh in talking to him sounded like he wasn't all the way together financially that was the end, Ruth. I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing this again. I was like, I will not be responsible for, for financing anybody's part. You do what you want to do. Leave me out of it. That is, that is, that is hilarious. No, I'm not just the optic. Look, I have a child in private school. I got bills. I'm not paying for anything. You do you. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> End of discussion. We didn't talk again. <laughs> that no, but see, here's the thing, though, Via. Like, you know, whoever you're going to meet, they are going to come with their own insufficiencies, right? But a relationship, yeah. it's work, <laughs> and you can't 
you can't just start off, you know, where the last guy, where you're like, ah, that thing about that guy and that thing, you know, you. <laughs> you... <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, nope, I can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I keep telling my friends, I'm like, I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. I'm not interested in seeing it anymore. So oh my God. go ahead on. <laughs> Take care of yourself. I'm like, I'm, as Nigerians would say, I'm not doing it again. I don't want to do it. I'm like, nope. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I know, but I do know that I have things that I need yeah, to but, do. Yeah, but you know, know. But, but if you don't address that, you're never... Because you are never going to meet someone who doesn't have a red flag. Never. There's no such thing. You have red flags yourself. We, I, I know. So I know. we have to be. We have to come to a place where we 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 have enough grace to give. You know, to to the new person that they're going to have that. And then if you try to work those th- through those things, and then it doesn't. Work, then you say, "Oh, this is not working." But you can't mm. get the stage go oh he was very confused about his finances i'm done yeah we didn't even get to a first date ruth once he said so, i was like oh no <laughs> i did not pick up his calls after that i was like that's it <laughs> nope Th- that's how that's how bad it was i was like no 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 i know how long it took me to dig myself out of the hole of because divorce is expensive yeah, no, see, no. So, so that's so i was like that's uh-uh. trauma talking that's trauma <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. If if I can fall in love again with people after an American tried to have me deported and I spent a month in jail, it means mm-hmm. that you can work through your, you know, you can I'm not walking in thinking, oh my God, this person, are you also going to call ice on me? I know, I know it's the it trauma. I know it is. And I know I have to deal with it. And I will actively start looking into uh, therapy because I know yeah. that I need. And I want, I want everyone listening to this too, to like, there's not a single person, not a single person, not even Bill Gates, not even, mm-hmm. you know, a- anyone you can think of that is free from unresolved trauma. And guess what? All of these successful people we see in the world, they all have therapists. Well, not the African ones. I don't know about that. I'm talking about in the Western world. So a therapist is like, for me, if Vera, if you tell me, if you ask me whether or not you should invest in gym membership or a therapist, I'll tell you a therapist every time. Mm. Yeah, because once you get your mental and emotional your health and physical stuff is going to be very very easy like you know like people ask me all the time you know because i'm 40 and i i still look like i looked in high school literally i still Mm -hmm. but it's because my you know because my mental and my emotional stuff is you know then staying out is easy to do you know so you have to yeah like when your mind and your emotions are in a good place everything else in life comes easier because the way you're reacting to everything is very, very different. It's very, very That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. For example, you know, if I decide I'm going to go for a run, I don't contemplate. I don't put, I just go for a run. Like my mind is not clouded. There's no, 
and it's hard to explain, you know, but like, I just, whatever the thing I'm like, I'm going to do, I just do it. I just, you wow. know, if I say, Hey kids, we're going to San Francisco next month. We're going to Suncers. Like there's no, you know, and I, and I see that people just struggle so much like indecisive and yeah. Once you work through your stuff, all of that stuff, you know, nothing becomes cloudy anymore. It's almost like, you know, it's like mental clarity. You just are at this mm. point, you know? Yeah, I will definitely uh, work on that. And it's actually good that we're having this conversation because the episode for next week, if everything goes through and we're able to record it, is actually uh, about therapy. Uh with I'm I'm talking with a with a doctor based in the UK from I believe Somalia. See another non-Nigerian guest. Yes. Uh, yes. The interview, if if we are able to confirm and record it, that that's what next week's episode will be. So I'm looking forward to that to talk because I know that within our community and even using myself as an uh, as an example, I've never been to therapy. I I believe in doctors like you know medical both of my parents are medical doctors so i understand that but in terms of therapy it's like what i'm used to is talking to your pastor you know talking mm -hmm. to your spiritual mm -hmm. leader which is fine too uh yeah. nothing wrong with talking to your spiritual leader uh but definitely yeah, but, but, but you know so i'll i'll tell you one difference you know yeah. okay one difference between why why does therapy seem to kind of resolve emotional wounds and, and and so for example you know i went to therapy and then there was a point i no longer needed to go to therapy but okay. notice that when you're going to your pastor it's almost like you're always needing to go to your you're always need or like you know even like with prayer it's like you're always it's not like there's ever a time you're like, oh, I don't need to pray anymore. I pray. You right. Know? But with therapy, right. there is that fine there is that like, oh wow. Yeah, I think that I'm I'm in a good place now. You know, and so that's I think the difference there. Like like you actually feel like you've resolved whatever it is, and you actually come to this place where you're like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm good. You know, so like right now. I have my therapist, I see my therapist just as needed, you know, because I don't, right. you know, in case I, something comes up and I just need, but I don't need to go to my therapist, uh, therapist on a regular basis because I'm in a place, I'm emotionally and mentally healthy. You know what I'm saying? I've gotten mm -hmm. to a place where I've resolved and imagine, I mean, you know, you, we've just talked about my story. Imagine all of that, all of that and getting to a place mm -hmm. where you're like, you know what? I'm really good. I think, yeah, but that's what, like, that's the power. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, so I promise I will look into it even before this episode. I'd already told my friends that I, I definitely need to talk to someone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's about finding the right therapist too, because I feel like sometimes people go to, a therapist that's not right for them. And then they, they go, Oh, this doesn't work. So for example, my therapist is someone who's LGBTQ herself, mm -hmm. you know, like there are these, because my therapy needs to understand that. Right. Cause if I went to an evangelical therapist <laughs> who, who thinks homosexuality is a sin, I'm not doing myself any favors and therapy is not going to work. <laughs> you, you yeah. see what I'm saying? So you yeah. have, the right therapist for you you know so like you probably want a female 
you probably want someone who's had immigrant experience. You know, all of the, all of those things are necessary to consider because then your therapist needs to understand your perspective in order to for you to work through your stuff, you know. Absolutely. Now, before you go, is there any question I didn't ask you that you'd like to answer anyway? I think we've pretty much covered the whole thing. I I don't think we went we went into my journey into atheism, which I I think I was I I <laughs> Africans will be in, you know, cuz Africans the idea that you can live without God is it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. would definitely prolong our episode, but what we could do is because that feels like an episode all on its own. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? So many if questions. I, I will I will I will I will follow uh the the link on on Facebook and all of that and I will answer people's questions there if they come up. Yeah, absolutely. And what we're going to do is I think this is what we should do if you are okay with it. I think we should have another episode to talk about this atheism and I won't be telling my aunt that I'm talking to you. <laughs> I would say I'm I'm going to speak to a friend. End of discussion. <laughs> I should say, what are you guys going to talk about? I would say, you know, yeah, stuff. I, 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 yeah, I because because it's it's relatively um, new, but you know, there are so many, um, it, you know, there are so many African atheists now that are coming out of the woodwork. You know, like because I b- belong to those groups, right? I I see to- people posting things on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Out. So, it's, so it's something that we do need to talk about um and also just from the perspective of like really understanding that we as black people we really can't start to be progressive until we understand that we can't exist as a monolith right that, that you know we, we have to have diversity within ourselves because that is what brings innovative ideas and like just think about this podcast you and i talking right how many things mm-hmm. did i talk about that probably you've never heard of just because i have yeah. someone who's different right from yeah you know yeah, yeah. So, so that's what diversity does is yeah it introduces you to things that you would have never otherwise you know so these conversations are are really important and yeah we definitely should think about having an episode just on on atheism or you know agnostics and what it means to to just live life without religion because i know it's still an unimaginable for a lot of people huh i um like you talked about the diversity earlier on you said that gay people are on the spectrum it was that wasn't a surprise to me um and the reason it wasn't was because last this week's episode last week's episode with Adafe where he talked about uh, being a homosexual was where he revealed that gay people were on a spectrum. So the point I'm trying to make to you is, is yes, diversity is definitely important because if he hadn't said that to me and you had said it today, um, I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. No, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. He just, yeah. he just yeah. thought that to me uh, yeah. last week. And that's why that wasn't a surprise. So it's definitely imperative, which is really why I started the podcast. I do want to have this conversations and I want to have it with people who are different. Otherwise 
I'm just going to be by, I might as well run a solo podcast and come on here and talk by myself in all the episodes. Yeah, pretty soon you run out of ideas. Right, right, right. Because cause Vera cannot counter what Vera said. So I need somebody else to explain or show me a different way of, of, of thinking. Yeah. So yes, Ruth, uh, I would like for you to come back and talk to us about that. Uh, because yeah, that yeah, let's do it time. Sure. yeah yeah absolutely because th- there's there's so much i don't know if i mean in fact i can tell you that all i know about atheists is they don't believe in god or they don't believe there is a god or is that's it that's that's oh, all i that's know a, that's actually that's a very that's a very kind understanding of you because <laughs> most most Christian Africans think I, I am a Satanist. That's what it means. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I didn't think that. <laughs> I just thought that's literally African. But I'm not surprised that they were taking it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, so you worship the devil and it's like, no, I don't believe in religion at all. That's what an right. atheist is. Yeah. <laughs> One last question for you, Ruth. Uh, I can't help but ask you this one because you are my first guest from Zimbabwe. So yeah. I want to know what your thoughts are or were on Cecil the Lion. Because I remember when they shot Cecil the Lion <laughs> and that was a big deal. I put up a whole blog post about Cecil the Lion because personally, I didn't understand why American people were protesting and doing all these things. I was like, are, do you guys actually care about the people of Zimbabwe or you just care about the lion? So... How do you feel about Cecil the Lion? Who I wasn't, by the way, in support of his death, but just asking. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I I never know whether to be glad or sad when, like, you know, a, an African story goes viral. You know, right? Uh, but I mean, I'm not surprised, right? I mean, you know, I, I Americans, you know, I. Of course, they would care more about a lion than they would about, like, you know, the actual situation of, like, right. on, you know, like, I mean, you know what's going on in Zimbabwe? It's pretty, it's pretty sad. Zimbabwe has, you know, I mean, has had a downward fall that's just um, catastrophic. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, so it, it's, for me, it was hard to really get into that because I also know the details of what has happened to the country and what's happening in mm-hmm. the country and what people have been going through. So, but with the, like with a lot of things that Americans protest, I'm more just like, what, you know, like, right. because, you know, you know, the chasm that exists between us and Americans, you know, we, right. <laughs> right. The times, you know, their perspective of anything is kind of uh, just really different. Um, so yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of feelings about Cecil the Lion, you know. I I I, I thought he was a good-looking cat. And <laughs> I didn't want him to be killed, but I didn't really understand the American people that were going to the 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 man who shot he was what a dentist, I think. I they went in front of his office. They were pro one woman sign said we are we are Cecil the Lion. I'm like, no, we're not. Speak for yourself, ma'am. Who who are these people that are Cecil? Like, I'm not a lion. <laughs> and then, of course, the irony is we're in America where uh, you guys are killing unarmed black people. But sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, talk about yeah. Cecil the Lion in Zimbabwe. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting. It, it's, uh, I don't know. I think, 
you know, when there's privilege, then people kind of have time to do all kinds. People have time to get angry about a lot of things, you know. Yeah. In Nigeria, they say... When you're poor and you're starving and you're thinking about feeding your kids. Yeah, yeah. In Nigeria, they say it's just people that have... People that have chopped belly full, you know, you, you, you've eaten, your belly's full. That's why you have the time to yeah, pursue yeah, these yeah. other things that you're Same. pursuing. Yeah. yeah. So. But um, thank you so much, Ruth, for your time. Thank and you for having me. This has been fun. I feel like it's been, it went longer than it was supposed to, but. It absolutely yeah. went longer. <laughs> but there was so much to discuss and we didn't even get to everything. Um, that's right. That's, that's right. why I didn't bother going down the road of atheism because I was like, oh, look at the time. We've been recording for a while. So I was like, yeah, I'll leave that yeah. one alone. We'll um, but we, we will have to come back and have a whole episode about that. So, Absolutely. where can people find you and connect with you after this? Uh, so, you know, Ruth Marimo on all of the social media spaces Facebook, Instagram. I'm not a big Twitter person, but I am on Twitter. Um, if you Google me, you can see what all I've written, what all, you know, I've, I, I've, I have footprints <laughs> on the web, you know, you can kind of see where all my, mm-hmm. my ha- have been. Um, and I would, I would try not to, um, I would try to accept friend requests. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe send her a message first and say, hi, Ruth. I heard you on the I Am African podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go add you as a friend now. <laughs> I would recommend you do that first. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe, maybe that, that, yeah, let's do that. And I'm going to yeah. link to the your TED Talk because I really liked it. Oh, yeah, that would be great. But yeah, I'm yeah. very, I am very vocal, especially on Facebook and Instagram. I'm one of those people that posts like 10,000 times a day, like, Good luck. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I'm a, I, I, I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts and so many opinions. And so, like, literally every day, like every day for like twelve years, I literally, like, I'm talking about something, you know. Um. So, but I'm, I'm also. Oh, I do have to say, I'm also not for everyone. So you know, don't be surprised if you come to my page and you're like, oh, whoa, right. whoa, what, you know. Again, you know, it's just I am for some, and I'm not for everyone. I'm, you know, and, but it makes sense. No, nobody is for everybody. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Ruth, and thank you everyone for listening. And I will put all the links in the show notes as usual. Please feel free to reach out to Ruth or check her out or whatever. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you, Via. The I Am African podcast is powered by Verastic. Thank you for letting me be in your ears today. If you have not yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Do you know any remarkable Africans who should be on the show? People who have compelling stories or maybe you just have a show idea? Please send any show and guest suggestions to I Am African at verastic.com that's i am african at verastic.com follow i am african podcast on instagram twitter and facebook and you can find me too at verastic on instagram twitter and facebook once again i am your host vera Ezimora. thank you for listening and i'll talk to you next week